Welcome to The Bookkeeper's Voice, an informative and entertaining podcast for bookkeepers who love small business. Each week, Amy Hook explores new ideas and shares real-life stories along with inspiring guests from both inside and outside the bookkeeping industry. Every episode will leave you with a fresh perspective along with industry-specific tips and insights to help your business and your clients' businesses thrive. Good morning. Happy Friday. Thank you for joining me again today. Today I have something very special for you. It's a double whammy. <laughs> That's right. Today I actually have two episodes for you and I'll totally understand if you can't listen to both of them. But I, I promised last week that, um, actually it was two weeks ago now, that I would talk to you about how to create space in your busy week. And what happened was when I started that episode, I realized how deep this topic is. So I covered the seven fundamental truths about time management and busyness. Um, and by the time I'd done that, I'd already gone, you know, 30 or 40 minutes and I want to keep my episodes shorter and more on point. Um, so I said to you, I will do it next week. Now, interestingly enough, I had a recording scheduled in with Tim Hoopman, who um, I then recorded an episode with, and although I was going to record two episodes uh, in a row, I decided that Tim's episode seemed to fit so perfectly in the flow of what we were doing, I put his episode in next. So then I said, okay, guys, like I promise next week I'll do creating space in your busy week. Um, and to give you the how, you know, I sort of went through and talked about some of the, the beliefs that we have about time management and busyness to help you lay that foundation. But then I said, the next part is that I'm going to actually teach you how to create space in your busy week. Now, I want to keep my word to you, um, but I also feel that I have a bit of a backstory coming on. So I know some of you just like to get the meat and the bones of it. So I'm going to just say to you right now that if you um, don't want to listen to my story, um, I'm, so I'm going to share a very personal story in this episode. Um, and I'm going to share with you something that I, some struggles that I've had personally. Um, and the reason I'm going to do that is to paint a picture for you of the type of person that I am when it comes to organizing myself and to creating that space in my week. And the reason that I want to do that is it's really just one of those, if I can do this, absolutely anybody can do this because I want you to know that I am not an organized person by nature. And so you might see me because I know a lot of people think that I'm like hyper organized and I am actually not. It's almost the complete opposite. So what I'm going to do in this episode is I'm going to share my story and it's quite, a, it, it's a long, it's a long story. It's a, it's a, it's a detailed story and you know, you know me when I tell my stories, I can tend to go off on different, um, you know, tangents and things like that. So if you want to listen to me, tell my story, then, then keep listening to this episode. But if you just want the content, if you're just here to get the tips on how to actually create space in your worksheet, worksheet, <laughs> thinking about spreadsheets there, um, create space in your busy week. All you need to do is just click skip and I'll go through five different areas that you need to work on. So jump to that right now if you want to listen to it. Um, whereas if you want to hear me tell my story, then just stay on the line because I am going to take you on a little adventure through a, a, a journey of struggle that I've been on to, I've been through, and I'm going to talk to you about the human behind the Savvy Bookkeeper and some of the difficulties that I've gone through and the things that have come from that, which I now give to you guys to help you in your business. 
So here we go. That will give you a little bit of a context so that you'll know when I organize myself or when I need to get organized, you'll have a bit of an idea of where I'm coming from because you may struggle with some similar things to me or you might find that you don't relate to my story at all and my way of um, thinking. So obviously then you can adapt what I've shared with you. I'm sure either way it will be helpful, but I think it's important for you to really know. And for those of you who want to skip forward, <laughs> um, just to know that I'm not a very organized person, despite what you may think. Um, I am actually um, quite different in the way that I think about organization and how I actually organize myself. So the reason that I'm able to share this with you now is because I have had to put so much hard work into getting myself organized and getting myself in a good place that I've actually had to, you know, it hasn't been something that's come natural to me. So you know, um, some of the people I know who are very organized, it comes so naturally to them that when you ask them how to do it, they say, I don't know, that's just what I do. So I just want you to know that I, I am not that person. And so if you've looked at me like, oh, you know, like, because people do say to me, oh, wow, you're so organized. And I often get comments and compliments about my processes. You know, when I onboard my clients, people, my clients give me this fantastic feedback. But I think that the, the reason that my processes and my checklists and all these different things are so good is because of what I've had to go through um, and because of, you know, like how I am personally, um, you know, I've had to go down and I, go through and break things into these very detailed steps because of the fact that I am actually not an organized structured person and so if you want to skip back a couple of episodes and I'll share the link in the comments that I did an episode where I talked about the personality types episode 54 that's the one it was so you can jump back to episode 54 which I called uh, raise your professional success by understanding your bookkeeper Myers-Briggs personality type and so that was actually following on from a previous episode. So the one before that, I talked about how to know when it's really time to quit. So I highly recommend that you listen to that first. And because these episodes are foundational to, and they kind of flow in order all the way from episode 53 through to today's episode, which is number 57. So all the way from 53 through to 57, you've got this real theme coming through. And there's a few different themes in there, but we started off talking about when is the best time to quit. Or when, when do you know when you really need to quit versus feeling like you need to? And I talked about how you can make the transition from being an amateur to a pro and how that requires to build your character, something that I've had to go through this journey myself. And then from there, you know, I actually had some listeners asking me about this, you know, concept of, of building and growing our character. So I thought a great foundation for that would be to understand our personality types, because despite what people might think, bookkeepers are not all the same. We're not all these, um, you know, introverted cardigan wearers, no offense to cardigan wearers. I'm wearing a cardigan right now, I must admit. Um, and our office is on Cardigan Street, which is even funnier. And so then obviously, you know, if you want to move from being an amateur to a pro, you need to get organized and you need to be like really organized. And I'd done a survey of bookkeepers and bookkeepers were telling me that they had problems with time management. And I started to recognize through reading their survey comments that time management is not actually a problem. It's a symptom. And the symptom is 
of um, a lack of prioritization, something that I've also struggled with myself and also, I'll be honest, continue to have to uh, manage. But thankfully, you know, because of my personality type, which you'll learn a little bit about in, um, in the other episode that I just referred to you, um, because of my personality type, it does not come naturally to me to be organized and to have schedules and checklists and things like that. It's not my natural way. And so I've had to do that as, as a result. And, you know, I'm sure that you can relate to um, the different um, personality types that I share. So I contrast the ENFP to the ISTJ. So I do the polar opposite comparisons of what would be considered the typical bookkeeper, with, which is the ISTJ. And you'll have to listen to the episode so that you know what those letters mean. Um, and then the complete opposite to a typical, um, you know, stereotype bookkeeper or accountant, which is me. <laughs> um, and, you know, you, you guys know my husband, William. So William is an ISTJ and we're complete opposite personalities. And so obviously being married to someone who has an opposite personality to me as well, it's, it's actually had me have to learn a completely different communication style and way of thinking about things. And so I kind of have just molded this all together into a couple of episodes. And then obviously last week, if you listened in to episode 56, we had Tim, um, Tim Hoopman to come along and talk about mental health in the workplace, which I felt was also really relevant because he talks about building resilience. And I feel that that goes so in line with building our characters, but also looking out for ourselves and to see where things are, you know, got a little bit skew if, and, you know, we're needing some help in um, being able to, um, get a better hold of our time and to reduce our stress levels and to not feel completely overwhelmed. Now I can tell you that I am somebody who has felt a lot of overwhelm in, in my own life and my own journey. And um, so I'll just tell you a little bit of a story about me. I have mentioned it before on a couple of podcast episodes, but um, I, I learned something new about myself in 2018, 2000 late 2018 I was at the library with my son and I wandered off and started looking for business books while, while my son was looking at the kids books as you do and so I went off I was looking for a very specific book and as I went past the shelf I spotted this job title this the this spine of a book and I thought oh, wow, like it just jumped out at me. It said how to get organized in six weeks um, or something like that. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. Oh, there you go. There's my memory. I actually looked it up. It's actually called Four Weeks to an Organized Life. And I was like, wow, I really need that. Um, so I grabbed this book off the shelf and, you know, um, went to put it in my um, bag. And then I thought, oh, hang on a second. I, had, I read the subtitle and underneath in little writing, it said um, with, AD, um, with ADHD. And I was like, oh, okay. So I went to put it back and then I thought, well, actually I do need to get organized and I probably, it will probably help me. You know, I do mentoring and stuff like that. So maybe it will, it will be good for me to learn how other people who aren't like me think and you know, I thought, oh, well, it can't really hurt. And there's probably some good organization tips in there. I mean, like if, if people with ADHD can get organized, then anybody can. And so I, you know, I put the book in my library bag and, you know, after I finished reading the books with my son, we, we, we checked out and I went home and I sat down on the couch that afternoon and I started to read this book. And I can tell you right now, I don't think I even made it past the end of the first page 
and suddenly my entire life made sense. I thought, oh my gosh, I have ADHD. And so I continued to read the book. And as I went through, I was having memories of my childhood. I was, you know, I, so I got expelled from school in year 10 and I was extremely disruptive in class. So I was, but I was also highly intelligent. So if, if there was a class where, you know, I was very quick, my mind has always been very, very fast. Like and people will say like that, I'm like a hundred, you know, like I'm like a hundred miles ahead of everybody else. And I'd receive feedback from, um, you know, employers and um, different people that I worked with over the years. But, you know, at school, when I was very good at a subject, I would get my um, work done super quick, like way quicker than the rest of the class. And then I'd spend the rest of the class annoying everybody else. And so these things back then didn't make sense. I just thought, you know, I'm just a very intelligent person. And so obviously I get bored because, you know, it's not stimulating enough. And then as I started to think through this process, I realized, oh my goodness, this explains so much. And so, you know, when I was thinking about working with employers, um, I remember like one of my bosses said to me, he, he said, you know, and a few people had said something similar. It, it was like, there's no kind of middle gear with you. It's either a hundred miles an hour or completely stopped. And I was like, yes, like this is, oh my God, like, wow. It was, it was a huge, huge eye opener for me. And because as I read the book, I thought, you know, I'd always thought that ADHD was for kids. And I'd also, I'd also had this association. Like I thought ADHD, which stands for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. I thought that ADHD meant like there's a deficit of attention as in the kids want attention and that's why they're so naughty. <laughs> and so there were, there was a, uh, I think there was two kids at my school who were diagnosed with ADHD and they were very like, they weren't just naughty kids, but they were kind of like, I mean, I grew up in Frankston. I went to high school in Frankston. So you can, um, you know, you can probably imagine what Frankston was like in the nineties. So like these were naughty kids, but they were also like, yeah, like they were also from difficult backgrounds and you know, the, the homes that they came from were quite disrupted and you know, not that mine wasn't, but ours was disrupted in a kind of a little bit like a different way. Um, so I thought when I was growing up that ADHD kids were kids that want attention and they're naughty because they want attention. That's what I thought ADHD was. And as I started to read this book, I realized that ADHD isn't anything to do with being naughty at all. In fact, there's ADD, so attention deficit disorder, which was what it was called back then, and then attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So not all people with ADHD are hyperactive. So that was a that was a, that was a really big eye opener for me. So you know there'll be children with ADHD or even adults, obviously, who you know they might seem a bit spaced out or they might seem distant or like they're not paying attention. And then I was like, oh my gosh, that's what it is. The attention bit is about being able to pay attention. It's about about being able to sustain that attention for a long time in order to complete things. Um, you know, it, I started to think of a comment that, you know, like, so my, my dad said to me, you know, you never finish anything, you don't complete your projects and things like that. And I just thought it was because, you know, I like um, starting things and, you know, 
I started to realize that the reason I don't finish things is because I get bored. And the reason that I get bored is because of how my brain works. And the reason that my brain works a certain way is that I am lacking um, a brain chemical or a hormone called dopamine. And so what happens in people that have ADHD, one of the things is that they're low on dopamine. And so they, um, they do things to try and generate dopamine. So what do you do to generate dopamine? Well, you, do, you take a lot of risks and you do things that cause, give you that dopamine boost. So you're always having to, you know, create drama or you've got to, um, you've got to sort of, yeah, like you've got to continually create excitement in order for things to keep going. And the thing is, in reality, excitement only lasts for a particular time. And then when the dopamine runs out, you've got to start a new thing. And so for me, starting new projects was how I got my dopamine, which enabled me to get other things done in my life. So that's one thing there. The second thing about ADHD is how the person's executive functioning works. And I love this because executive functioning, it makes me kind of think of business or it makes me think of like companies and, you know, it's kind of got that real like work relation to it. You know, the executive function is basically the part of the brain that organizes itself. And so when somebody has ADHD, their brain doesn't organize themselves in the same way that someone without ADHD organizes itself. And so that started to make sense to me that, you know, my brain does not naturally organize itself. And so this is the reason that I had so much trouble. And, you know, obviously you might listen to this and think I'm making an excuse, but this is why I had trouble keeping my room clean. And this was a real pain point in my life. And, you know, I started to realize, and it, you know, the thing that ended up leading me to getting help for having ADHD and to actually receive a professional diagnosis eventually is that I could see, you know, when it was just me, it didn't matter if I was just thrill seeking all the time to get my dopamine hits and it didn't matter if my house was messy and all this stuff. But once you get married and you have kids and you run a business, it starts to really impact your life to a degree where you're just not really functioning and or not functioning in the areas that you need to because the flip side of ADHD isn't just you know someone with ADHD finds it hard to stay focused when they start something but the flip side is that when they're interested in something they become hyper focused and they can't stop focusing on it like they become obsessed with it and they will actually you know they will ignore three meals like three meals will go past um and they will not have eaten and they will have, you know, powered through this kind of like project that they're working on. So for me, I've been able to, you know, the projects that, um, that I've started that I've been able to finish are the ones that have been really of interest to me that I'm able to stick to it. The flip side or the downside of that is that people see you. And when I say you, I mean, if you have ADHD, people will see you as someone who only makes an effort when they're when it's something for themselves, but when other people need something, they just kind of disappear. And so that is something that I could completely relate to as well. So I learned all these different things about how my brain worked and I learned how that was affecting me and those around me. And I realized this is something that I need to understand more. And, you know, the other thing I learned from it is that people with ADHD think in um, pictures, they think visually, um, 
so it doesn't mean I don't think in words. Like I do still think in words, but they kind of have this, I don't know, like the best way for me to explain it is that my brain is like a kaleidoscope and I can see like many possibilities all at the same time. And sometimes it's extremely overwhelming, like to the point where depending on the environment that I'm in, I can actually completely shut down. And I, and that's why my bosses would have noticed that I'm either a hundred percent, a hundred miles an hour or not moving at all because you know, like people with brains like me experience burnout. Now you might be listening to all of this and thinking, Oh gosh, Amy, this sounds very much like me. I struggle with these things. So does that mean that I have ADHD? And my answer would be, it depends. You know, my favorite answer. Um, it does depend. And so I'm not here diagnosing anyone. I'm definitely not a psychologist. I'm just sharing from my own experience. Um, but the things that people with ADHD struggle with, they are things that regular people struggle with, people with, without ADHD, or I'll refer to you guys as uh, neurotypical people. So you have a typical structure in your neurology and in your executive functioning. So people who have that, you know, the, that neuro, neurotypical brain rather than what we call a neurodiverse brain, which is what I have. Um, you also find neurodiverse brains in people with autism spectrum disorder, which now incorporates um, what we used to know as um, Asperger's. Um, so you can see, um, yeah, so people with neurotypical brains, they will actually experience some of the things that I'm talking about. Okay. So you could very well be a neurotypical person or an NT as, as the neurodiverse community refers to you guys. <laughs> Surprise. Um, neurotypical people experience the same things that people with ADHD experience sometimes. So you might be listening to me thinking, Oh, but this happens to me. Do I have ADHD? Or you might be listening to me and going, that happens to me. So Amy, you don't have ADHD. So like either way, it doesn't really matter. But the point that I'm making is that you don't have to freak out if you're relating to me that you might actually have a neurological condition like I do. So, um, and, and also, you know, if you're kind of skeptical about whether it's correct, or maybe you've heard that adults can't have ADHD, it's not true. So what happens with ADHD is as people get older, um, you know, often people who have ADHD um, have been, uh, often they've been treated very poorly. They've been excluded. They've had trouble maintaining relationships. Um, they've had, you know, if they haven't had a supportive family, they've really kind of struggled. They've really been through the ringer. And so what happens is children who have had ADHD, their symptoms tend to go underground. And so that, I believe that is what's hap what happened to me, although they didn't go as underground as I thought they did, but in some aspects they did. Or, you know, as adults, we're able to find ways to cope and to compensate, but it doesn't make, mean that the brain is not structured in that way. And so ADHD is something that a person is born with and it cannot be cured, but there is, it can be managed. And so the reason that I'm sharing this with you is because I want you to know about my neurodiverse brain so that you can see how my brain can help you. <laughs> so like, you know, whether or not you actually have this condition or not, and it's, it's probably fairly unlikely because it's, you know, it's not a large percentage of the population that have it. But regardless, because I've had to delve so deeply into figuring out how to make my life work, you know, I've been able to go through and learn these things as an adult. So I, the things that I learn in between podcast episodes are things that you probably learn when you were a child. 
And so I've had to go through the process as an adult to parent myself or reparent myself and to take myself through the process of learning all of these different things, like how to organize myself and how to make sure that things get done on time and how to have as little impact as possible on the people around me who I care about. And so if you relate, if you relate to some of the things that I, you know, some of the symptoms or some of the things that I express, it could be good for you to ask yourself, does this issue that Amy has that I'm relating to, does it have a serious impact on my life? Has it had an impact on my life for a long period of time? That's how, that's how you'll, I mean, you know, obviously if you think you have ADHD, you can go see a psychiatrist and get a diagnosis, but you know, the, the question to know, to, to ask yourself is, has this been going on? Can I see a pattern of this throughout my whole life? And does the degree to which it disrupts my life, like, is it debilitating? Like, is it disabling? Is it interfering with my life so much that it damages my relationships or my ability to work or, um, you know, that kind of thing. So that, that's, that's how you would know the difference. So even though what I explained might sound similar, in some ways, it's very much um, to the extreme end of the scale. So that's what happened to me. I read this book and I learned something very interesting about my brain, which was that I suspected that I had ADHD and I read this book and I, I'll be honest, I only got through the first lesson of um, the first week, <laughs> the first lesson, the first day of the first week, because um, true as someone with ADHD, well, I also started reading about 10 other books at the same time and I never actually finished the book. Um, so um, I kind of felt like at the start, at the start of the book, they really, they went very deep into explaining all about ADHD and it was so interesting and so useful and so insightful that I really did just get engrossed in it and I read it but then when it got to the bit about the lessons I was like ah, eh, I've had enough <laughs> and I was I was already well and truly reading something else but I have re-downloaded it on my Kindle because one day I plan to read <laughs> that book that changed my life so um so anyway at this point you know I like I'll be honest with you I became after about two like two weeks after about two weeks of reading it because when I first read it, I was so relieved and I was so happy and I was like, oh wow, like my life finally makes sense and I can see why things have been the way they were. And I was like massively relieved and just like even joyful. And, you know, I didn't tell anyone about it yet. Like I didn't tell William for a little while. After about two weeks, the kind of honeymoon period of, of being excited about having ADHD wore off or potentially having it because I didn't have a diagnosis at that point. And I started to feel like extremely angry. And just to give you a little bit of a timeline, this was all happening for me. Um, yeah, I guess it was at the, uh, I didn't even remember, but it was like this, maybe the start of 2019. I didn't get into start um, receiving a professional diagnosis. I think I started seeing a psychiatrist around, Mm, it was like March, it was March, 2019. So it was almost a year ago. And, um, you know, I was on a big waiting list, I think from October, so October, 2008, um, 
up until I got into this long waiting list to see this doctor, like around, yeah, it must've, so it must've been October, around October, November, 2018, I started to deal with like these serious feelings of anger and frustration. You know, I was angry that I wasn't diagnosed earlier. I was angry that, you know, that nobody kind of like thought, Hey, there's something not right with Amy, maybe we should get her some help or maybe they did. I can't remember. And so, you know, I, I became very resentful and angry and I felt like it wasn't, um, it wasn't fair that I had missed out on so much. And I was thinking, what would my life be like if I had have known this so much earlier? Would I have been treated differently? Would I have been, you know, would I have suffered less abuse? Would I have not, you know, underperformed in my jobs would I have not let so many people down all these things went through my head for a little while and I guess it was you know another couple of weeks that those feelings were really high near the surface and I felt very sensitive and just completely overwhelmed to be honest like I was no longer happy about this idea but I was booked in to see a professional and I was really clear that I wanted to um explore this um, as well as whatever else the psychologist thought might have been the potential cause of my symptoms. So we spent, I can tell you, we spent about 10 months exploring different alternatives for what could be my diagnosis. And also during this process, I was coming to terms with the fact that if I did have ADHD, then I might quite, I would likely have to consider um, taking medication and I wasn't sure if I wanted to do that. So in the interim that, you know, my psychologist or psychiatrist agreed that he did think that ADHD was definitely a possibility. And I thought, well, like, to be honest, I knew, I knew from the first page of reading that book without, I knew without a doubt, but I guess the only doubt that did creep in was that, you know, I thought is the, this um, psychiatrist going to believe me or are they going to understand or you know does this person even know anything about ADHD or you know like whatever so I knew I, I just knew hands down and so I thought to myself well I want to try some alternative therapies and you know try some natural approaches and so I tried a lot of things during that 10 month period until I actually allowed or requested for my psychiatrist to, you know, to confirm a diagnosis either way. And so, yeah, I, I think the thing that helped the most, you'd be so surprised about this is caffeine, caffeine tablets. So um, I would, you would be so surprised to think someone with ADHD needs to take caffeine, but it actually has a calming effect. So stimulants, have a calming effect on someone with ADHD, whereas someone who doesn't have ADHD, they're going to take the stimulant. It's going to hype them up or give them energy. And so, yeah. So in the meantime, I also started taking an antidepressant, which um, it was a special type of antidepressant that also works on dopamine as well as serotonin. Now I've been misdiagnosed with um, anxiety and depression throughout my whole life. Like ever since I was a teenager was when I first received the diagnosis and I was wondering why like the treatments for depression and anxiety never helped. And that's because I'm not depressed and I'm not anxious. Like, yes, I feel depressed and anxious sometimes, but, or I have constant actually chronically throughout my life, but it's because I have ADHD. It's because my brain 
the wiring in my brain doesn't connect to the things that it needs to connect to. And so I feel, I'd almost feel like this heaviness or this dullness, you know, um, when I thought to myself, I need to, I, I would see a task that needed to be done. I think I need to do that task, but my brain wouldn't connect to, it wouldn't connect to my body to, to trigger me to actually start to take action. And I thought I was just lazy. I, you know, I had all sorts of labels on myself and then to discover that, you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, the other thing I'd been diagnosed with was complex, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. I will be truthful with you. I am still exploring that diagnosis because once I started the medication for ADHD, most of the symptoms that I would have attributed to depression, anxiety, and complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Like I would be, I would be fairly confident to say that they dis most, a lot of them disappeared. Um, not completely. Um, so that's why I'm still exploring a diagnosis. There's still things that I struggle with, but on the whole, it's changed my whole life. It's been like when I didn't realize that I had astigmatism, which means like basically rugby shaped eyeballs <laughs> rather than um, irregular round soccer ball shaped eyeballs. So, um, it, you know, it causes your vision to be, um, not, it's not blurred like someone who's short sighted, but it's like a double, it's almost like a double, like, yeah, vi vision. It's a, yeah, it's hard to explain, but if you have it, you'll know. And as soon as I put glasses on, I remember that I saw all these things I could never see before. And one of the things that the first thing I noticed when I walked out of the shop with my new glasses on after I'd been diagnosed was I noticed how shiny people's eyeballs are. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've never noticed that people's eyes are really shiny. But I was walking through the shopping center and all I could see was these sparkly eyes everywhere. It was so unusual. And then I was looking at my children's faces and, and it was really funny. I was taking my glasses on and then off and then on and off. And I was like, clear face, fuzzy face, clear face, fuzzy face. And taking my glasses on and off and looking at my children. And I was like, oh my gosh, you guys are so cute. Like, I didn't realize how bad my eyesight was um, until I my eyesight wasn't bad anymore. And it's been the same with ADHD. So, you know, to be able to have this clarity, like this is how I would explain the change in my life since I started to take um, ADHD medication in around October last year. So October, 2019 was when I finally decided to start October or November. And what I felt like was before I used to try and create routines, but I could never stick to them or I couldn't remember where I put them or, um, you know, so I'd have all these like brilliant checklists and I had a spreadsheet for everything. Like if my, like everything in my life had to go in this one spreadsheet, otherwise I'd completely lose track of it. And so my friends like actually thought I was quite weird and I just thought it was because I was a bookkeeper and, you know, maybe you have a spreadsheet that coordinates every aspect of your life, but I couldn't live without this spreadsheet. And I started to realize that that's because my executive functioning system is not inside my brain. It's in a spreadsheet. And so what would happen is I would create these fabulous processes and systems, and then I couldn't apply any of them for more than like five minutes. And you know, one of the things that I learned is that because of the wiring of my brain, because of the lack of dopamine and, you know, because, yeah, like because of the actual symptoms of like the inattention and the hyperactivity and the distractibility and the compulsiveness, like all of these things that all kind of added up um, together in one big mess is that even though I'd cr create or design these wonderful processes, I couldn't 
implement them. And the reason I couldn't implement them is because my brain didn't have the pathways and didn't have the ability to create the pathways to actually set those routines. So most people say, if you just do something for 21 days, then it will become a habit. The only problem is if you have ADHD, you can't do anything for 21 days. Like you'd be lucky if you can do something for 21 hours or even 21 minutes, you know? <laughs> so for me, it was, so my, psych my psychiatrist gave me hope in that he said, if you start on this medication, the medication will allow that connection to happen. The receptors in the brain will be able to connect with each other and you'll start to actually be able to um, create these routines, but not only create them, you'll be able to repeat them until the pathways get created in your brain. And I'm like, right. And so because I, you know, because they would also meet the need for the dopamine that my brain is craving that everyone else's brain generates naturally. So, so for example, if you're a neurotypical person, you, and I thought something will pop into your head. You go, Oh, I have, I should clean. Or you might walk in the kitchen and see like the dishes are not done. So your brain would go, I should do the dishes. And then you just go do it. It just, the dopamine kicks in and goes, cool, let's go do the dishes. Whereas in my brain, my brain will go, oh, I don't, I really don't like the way that those dishes are looking. And um, my brain doesn't find the dopamine. And then I feel this dark, heavy fog go over me. And I'm like, oh, I'm tired. All right, I'm just going to go sit on the couch for a few minutes. And then when I feel awake again, I'll go back and do the dishes. And then I forget to go back because the next thing I'm like on YouTube <laughs> watching videos <laughs> um, or playing on Facebook or what, whatever. So the psychiatrist gave me hope in that, you know, if you take this medication, you'll have the dopamine will be there. You'll be able to, um, you know, repeat these tasks and you'll be able to create these pathways in your brain. And so I was like, oh my gosh, this sounds amazing, but I didn't want to get my hopes up. But I can just say that, you know, it's exceeded my expectations because I have been able to in just such a short amount of time, like it's only four months or something, and I've been able to create all these routines and I've been able to see clearly everything that's kind of going on. And I've been able to stay focused on the boring things. You know, this, that's why people with ADHD struggle because they don't have dopamine, dopamine. Like the boring tasks are like, oh my God, like it's, it's very, like it's more difficult than for an average person who doesn't like to do mundane tasks. And then to add to, add to that, I'm an ENFP personality type, which just kind of compounds it, but you can listen to the other episode about that to learn more about that personality type. And so as I started to create these routines in my life and they started to actually stick, I was like, wow, do you know what I feel like? not just with the glasses analogy, but another really good analogy is like, imagine you were trying to do a puzzle and that puzzle, imagine you were trying to do a puzzle and put that puzzle together, but you didn't have the cover. You didn't have the box. So you've got all these pieces scattered all over the ground and you're trying to pick those little pieces out and you're trying to figure out how they get joined together. Well, this is the life of someone with ADHD. They're trying to put that puzzle together and it's near impossible to finish a puzzle if you don't know what the picture is supposed to look like. And so once I started on the medication, it's like I it's like someone gave me the box. Someone's like, hey, you know that puzzle that you've been trying to put together for the last, you know, 38 years of your life? 
well, here's the box. Why don't you just, you know, if you use this box, you'll be able to match the pieces together. And so even though the puzzle pieces are not all together now, I have the box and I know where all the bits go. I've just got to go through the process now of putting them all into their place. So that's what it's like. And so that's, that's my story. I just, you know, there's a couple of reasons for me sharing this. And one is to give you the background for all these other teachings that I'm doing and to give you a sense of like, if someone like me, someone whose brain executive function is like a kaleidoscope and, you know, I have an interest-based executive functioning system that doesn't, I have a brain that doesn't want, literally doesn't want to do anything that it doesn't find fun or exciting or interesting, which is like pretty much like 95% of life. And I want you to know that if someone like me can get organized and figure out a way to prioritize and to create space in their, um, you know, in their busy week and to actually be able to get back a sense of control. Like if I can do that, then absolutely anybody can do it. Even the most disorganized person on the face of the earth can do it. And so that's why I want to share my story today to give you hope. And then the other reason I wanted to share my story today is just so you can know me better. Like who is this lady who gets on a podcast and waffles on and goes on tangents and tells all these stories and takes a really long time to make her point sometimes and all this sort of stuff. Well, I want you to know that the person who does all that is like somebody who has like suffered for a very long time. So when I was a child and a teenager, I used to think that I had a disability. Like I knew from a very young age that I had a disability. Now, ADHD is not recognized by the Australian government as a disability. And that's sort of not what I'm saying, but I knew, I felt that I was disabled in some way, but that my disability was invisible and I felt like nobody else could see it. And I felt that the world, I lived in a world that had such high expectations of me and, you know, add to that the fact that I am intelligent and I am very quick. Um, I learn things very quickly. Um, you know, I don't need to, I really hardly need anything explained to me. Like, let me just tell you right now, you'll, you'll hate me for this. When I went to uni, I'm one of those people that like doesn't go to any classes at all, doesn't study at all, just does the absolute bare minimum. So I do the projects that I'm interested in or the ones that I'll fail if I don't do them. And then apart from that, when it's time for exams, like basically about three nights before the exam, I'll make some flashcards and then I'll just like take like photographic photographic memories <laughs> of, of all the answers. I'll just like, I don't know, like my brain just remembers these things. Like I'll just look at a past exam paper from last year and I'll just turn up and ace the exam. And so you might be thinking, Amy, I hate you. And it's like, yeah, you might be, you might feel jealous about the fact that you had to study to earn your qualifications. And I just seemed to breeze through, but the reality is, you know, for me to be able to hold down a job or a relationship or to be able to create meaningful friendships um, you know, that it's, it's come at the cost of that. So I want, I guess I want you to know, like, this is me, Amy, Amy Hook, the savvy bookkeeper, um, not your typical bookkeeper, not your typical brain. And I'm somebody who has, you know, I've really had to try. I'm not saying I've had a harder life than other people, although I think I have, if you, if you ever hear my full story one day, I think you'll be absolutely like, 
com like completely and absolutely shocked at some of the things that I've gone through in my life and some of the things that I've overcome. Like, I'm not saying I'm like, I don't know, the most hard done by, and I don't say that I've gone through the most painful experiences, but once you hear the full story, which I can't share today, you would just be like, oh my gosh, like I didn't realize how hard you've had to work to get here to where you are now. And, you know, so I want you to know that, like, I feel that it's important. Like if you're going to binge listen to my episodes or if you're going to, which people do, by the way, like quite a lot of people tell me that, or if you're going to listen to me every time you go to the gym, or if you're going to listen to me in the background while you're working or when you're driving your kids to school, like if you're going to tune into the podcast every week, I think it's really important that you know the human behind the savvy bookkeeper. You know, I was about to say the savvy mastermind. Like you, I, I, I want you to know the mastermind behind the savvy bookkeeper. And that is me. Like I'm a borderline genius who has an incredibly, extraordinarily um, traumatic um, life and has struggled with an invisible disability that I had no name for until just a few months ago. You know, and so for, for those of you who have been on this journey with me, you know, some of you um, like, yeah, okay. And I will, like, I feel that once I've shared this story, you know, now that you know the story, you know, I'll be here for you with this, um, you know, this valuable content and, you know, these great takeaways that you can implement in your business because somehow I feel that, you know, by holding back sharing my real story with you that, you know, you can't really fully get to know me. And I know that, you know, there are um, people like in my community, like even people that I care about a lot who kind of want me to get to the point and stay on track and, and things like that. But I guess I want you to know, you know, this is me. And um, I want you to also know that, and not to make excuses for it, you know, I definitely went, when I heard, that some of my audience, they want me to get to the point quicker. They want me to make shorter episodes. They want, um, they want content. I thought, well, okay, that's good for them. Like if, if people just want, if they just want content and takeaways, there's heaps of other places to go for that. Um, but at the same time, on the flip side of that, I totally agree that the, the bookkeeper's voice podcast should not be all about me. And so I thought today's going to be a really good time for me or a good opportunity for me to actually share my personal story with you so that there is an episode that has that in there. And then that way I can go, all right, you guys know my story. You know where I've come from. Um, you know why I go on tangents or find it hard to pay attention sometimes and things like that. Like you'll know the reasons why, but not to make an excuse, but so that you can know where I've come from and so that you can connect with me on that level. Like you can connect with Amy Hook, the human who, um, now, like not only has gone through such a difficult time and had to try like a hundred times harder than the average brain to, to make life happen properly, but not only knowing that just to, you know, it's not to feel sorry for me, but to know that that is the person who dedicates their working hours to finding ways for you to improve your business or to get for you to get more organized or for you to have a checklist that's going to help you um, to be able to manage things 
you know, I want you to know that someone who, despite the fact that I've struggled so much and despite the fact that the last, you know, couple of years have been like very, very challenging, um, that I have still been able to come here and consistently create podcast episodes, something that is actually, I think it's a complete miracle. Like for me to turn up every single week, completely dedicated to others to be able to come on here and to consistently record an episode every single week. Like when the day I started, I didn't think that I had it in me to continue for a year, but here we go. Like this is episode 57. This is a miracle, you know, with a little bit of help from, you know, um, psychiatry and um, medication, (laughs) a little bit of help from my, um, my friends, you know, um, a little bit of help from external sources, but still also a miracle. Like it just doesn't happen. You know, people like me live their whole life and they, they go to their grave, never knowing what was wrong with them, never being able to figure out how to get their life together. And, you know, if I can give myself credit for anything, it's to show up and to keep showing up, albeit very imperfectly and to keep showing up and, you know, to do my best for others and to be able to try and help as much as I can, you know, despite my um, shortcomings and my, you know, I, I still refer to it, honestly, like now that I know what it is, people go around saying, oh, you know, ADHD is a gift. No, it is not a gift. Like, yes, like there's things about my brain that allow me to do brilliant things, but I don't think that's because of my ADHD. I think that's because I'm smart. Um, but I have severe, severe limitations that have like, they have affected my whole life. And so here I am and I've shared my entire backstory on how, like, yeah, how I can get organized, even though my brain is completely wired for disorganization. And now I am going to get right into the content, which is, hooray, we made it there. Part three, priorities, how to create space in your busy week. So let's go, let's do this, skip across to the next episode and let's do it. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to The Bookkeeper's Voice. We'll be back next week, so subscribe to future episode notifications. Do you want to be more efficient? Get instant access to our free template of the month visit thesavvybookkeeper.com.au slash freebie. Would you love to connect with other Savvy Bookkeepers to get support and ideas? Join the Savvy Bookkeeper Facebook group. Do you need help with pricing, marketing, web design or business planning? Visit thesavvybookkeeper.com.au to see our services. Until next time, stay savvy.